everyone and welcome to this free episode of tf it's the free it's the, one god damn it i was yeah. gonna try to snipe you as you can hear from the uh the additional sort of the uh, d- hooting monster making my life difficult we have a guest today wow wait am i the hooting monster making your life difficult riley jesus christ <laughs> he's not a hooting monster he's lovely <laughs> welcome back to number one london mets fan let's go mets baby love the mets hey. it is josh borman josh how's it going hey it's going all right man thanks for thanks for having me on this is uh sort of completing my tour of the tf podcast adjacent and now yeah. podcast sphere uh been recording with milo been recording with hussein and now we're here to have some fun and talk about the Mets, I guess. That's right. I did four tours of the London podcasting scene. <laughs> I've seen shit over there, man. I've seen shit you wouldn't fucking believe, pal. Uh, no. We have a show for you today, as we often do. Um, we are going to be talking about a few... A few as we so yeah, often, so often do. <laughs> One of our typical Trash Future activities, producing a podcast mm. for you Ooh. to enjoy. We're going to be talking yeah. about a couple of news items. I have a startup we may or may not do if we want to. It's not actually a startup, it's a charity, but the concept is so bananas that I just had to possibly include it. The Captain Tom Foundation. Uh, it's a different one. <laughs> uh, uh, I saw an amazing charity the other day. This is a bit of a sidebar, Ooh. but um, so Annabelle and I went to this thing called the Spirit of Christmas in uh, Kensington <laughs> Olympia because... So one of her flatmates friends like is like a fancy chocolatier. She's part of the Lint Regiment of Chocolatiers. Uh-huh. And uh, the so Lint she... Regiment? Yeah, they serve they, they they serve bravely. Yeah, they storm the beaches in Normandy. It's, it's, it's a long long bit we invented on the on the Twitch stream about how the Lint ah, Master okay. Chocolatier is a kind of like member of an elite force. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah. They're yeah, like yeah. The, the Navy Seals of chocolate. Yeah. Her Majesty's yeah. Royal Chocolatiers. Like, I like a. <laughs> we were going to okay, do a right. shirt with that one, and then. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm caught yeah, up. Like, now, like the right. crossed, the crossed whisk and bayonet. On the, <laughs> anyway, um, and so her, this friend of her flatmates, uh, exhibits at this thing, so she gets like free tickets, and it's just like it's not really that Christmassy. It's just things posh people would buy, mm. like uh, ugly antiques, like expensive ugly clothes, like food stuff, whatever. We like wandered around it for a bit, and there was this jewelry company that was also a charity, and they were like, "Yeah, hundred percent of the profits go to charity." And it's like incredibly posh girl in like custom made overalls with the name of the company on, and she's like, "Okay, yeah." So like, what happens is you buy you buy a charm to go on your bracelet, and then like you you buy uh, a charm depending on like which one of these like charitable causes speaks mm. to you and um and she was like do any of them leap out at you to annabelle and then like she starts looking at the categories and the categories were um one of them was cancer pretty normal charity sure, sure. um another one was motherhood okay <laughs> which i was just like is that traditionally a charity <laughs> well it's just <laughs> moms are, hard, are they, they've fallen on hard times these days so no, nobody can nobody can be a mother anymore uh, you know what i mean like mental mm. health of course of course yeah, and I can't remember what the fourth one was, but mm. I was, I'm was i so pleased to see posh girls flourishing in their natural environment. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can get a motherhood bracelet. So look, I, we're going we're gonna to delay the news. We're going to delay the talk of the ta- Captain Tom Sen and its fate. We're going to delay all of that mm. because I'm just going to come right out with the fun charity uh, because yeah, I, I think I can top yours, Milo. Okay. The charity is called Yacht Aid. 
Yes. Yes. No. Yes. Surely not. Come on. For just two pounds a month, you can help free an imprisoned super yacht. You thought trash shoot your resolver, but we fucking back, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, Lil, Lil Yacht Aid. Uh, that, that could be something. Yeah. I'll tell you the story of how I came to find Yacht mm. Aid. Like, try, okay, news heads. I'm trying to fund your yacht. Yeah. How I came no. to find Doing a yacht your, charity. Your regular that weekly to mind. Googling of yacht, basically. I want to tell the story of how I found Yacht Aid. Um, and don't worry, news heads. The news is coming. It's going to come after this. We're going to talk about Suella Braverman, but I want to talk about Yacht Aid first. I was researching a startup that is trying to bring back lighter-than-air Zeppelin transportation headed by Sergey Brin. Fuck yes. It is the one good thing maybe a tech company has possibly ever done. These steampunk Burning Man motherfuckers, if they bring back the airship... Like, if I get to be like a fucking air pirate off and do my Crimson Skies shit off of these guys, fantastic. So no notes, let them have the yacht. People at Hindenburg Research losing their shit about yeah. this. So, right, I, and I saw Sergey Brin like, had some idea when he was doing, his, doing something with his super yacht with Yacht Aid, which made me say, what the fuck is Yacht Aid? And now I can tell you that Yacht Aid is all about, and this is their tagline, it's printed all over everything they do, mm -hmm. changing the world without changing course. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> Do you, but do you think, what, what does it mean if you're having a charity that is comprised of super yacht owners, um, but if you want to have a slogan that will reassure them, it would be, don't worry, we're not changing course, things will be much the same. Do they rescue very picky drowning people? Right, or is this like, or is this like Band-Aid, where it's like, you know, Bob Geldof obviously, like, we can use our music to sort of save the world, and here it's like, we can use our yachts to oh, escort yeah, people? Yeah, <laughs> uh, Josh, that's pretty much yeah. That's 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 like about seventy percent of what they're doing. Okay. Um, they say it is incumbent upon the yachting community. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like they should they sentence. should have like a like a fancier name than a community at that point. Like at least be mm. a regatta, right? The right, yachting right, right. fraternity. The yachting flotilla. Yeah. Well, an, mm. an, an, an armada. Mm. Yeah, a, there you yeah. go. To care like for the people and the environments of the coastal communities around the globe who share with us their land, sea, and spirit. Since our founding in 2006, Yacht Aid Global has been the recognized leader in facilitating yacht industry-wide engagement and collaboration for disaster relief and recovery. So basically- That's so insulting if you're in like a natural disaster and some fucking super yacht shows up to like throw a bottle of water at you. This is like, yeah, like Trump throwing out the, the fucking, you know, t paper towels yes. in Puerto Rico. It's mm. that, but with yachts? Yes. Am I hearing this correctly? We, we've sent Jeremy Fragrance on a sunseeker down to help out <laughs> with the tsunami relief. <laughs> so, um, Captain Mark Druillo, uh How are we spelling that? D-R-E-W-E-L-E-O-W. Um, well, that's a hell of a that, that has not clarified anything for me. If anything, I'm confused. Jason Derulo. Is this <laughs> yeah. the, the, na the name that's spelling it like docks a point off your Glasgow coma scale. Uh, whose vision 15 years ago to enlist his super yacht clients as first responders for disaster relief, humanitarian aid, and conservation <laughs> efforts around the world. This is a Mitchell and Webb sketch. This isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> has grown into a UN recognized force for good. Well, if the you don't fucking recognize, recognize anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so basically, now what happens is, is you've got, let's say you have a big yacht 
and okay. your and you sort of watch TV and feel bad about it. Yacht Aid will yeah, I've seen Mrs. Brown's boys. allow you to compel your crew to go help out. Mm. Oh, great! Uh. More unpaid labor in the yachting sector. Yeah, right. Mm. So, so it's it. Now you probably still have to pay them, right? Yeah, you do have I to pay them, but like. You will just yeah. more have, more yeah. involuntary. You can't, like, no, you've been, you've been <laughs> as UN naval officers. Technically. Yeah, my final, my yacht galley slaves. <laughs> involuntary labor in the yachting sector has been a, has been an issue since the Napoleonic Wars. Um, <laughs> at least, yeah, yeah, yeah. at least, yeah. I can't. You know. believe, Everyone, I, you're you've been enlisted to the trireme <laughs> service now. Babe. I can't believe. I can't believe. I I was a I was falling asleep drunk on the beach, and then when I woke up, I was in Eric Schmidt's yacht, <laughs> handing out bottled water. It's <laughs> <laughs> handed the king's NFT. You know. Uh, expertise coupled with trust. Yacht Aid's global expertise in consultation, logistics, and program management, coupled with our confidentiality and trust, enable members of the yachting community to execute altruistic activities effectively, seamlessly, and discreetly. Okay, so I'm really curious about the confidentiality and trust piece of this. What what specifically does that look like? Does that mean like if I if I send my yacht out? I, I no longer like I, I, I'm not worried about people leaking photos of my yacht to the fucking New York Post or what? like what what does that mean? You can use my yacht to rescue children, but you cannot rescue the children off my yacht. I want to be completely <laughs> clear about that. The yacht stays 12 miles from the coast. Right, exactly. <laughs> so what the uh, what the idea is, right, is let's say there is like a hurricane. Let's say I'm a rich guy and I like sailing my super yacht to an island that gets hit by a hurricane. I will then feel bad about that, and I might feel a momentary pang of guilt that I've been in sort of actively participating in their immiseration by like keeping that going. So, what you will do, and I, but I also don't want it known, right, that I'm going to send my, um, you know, four deck yacht to St. Martin or whatever. And so, um, yacht aid won't say we we helped jeff bezos you know um right helicopter some paper towels to his favorite beach when it got hit by a tidal wave yeah so it's like it's like mckinsey you just don't talk about your client list basically Um, they also want to establish global philanthropic footprints to engage the yachting community's generosity and quote unique assets already in place but the yachts surely yeah i was gonna say the yachts right (laughs) that's it just it's the yachts uh, Norma, right. <laughs> Norma Treese, the president of the International Superyacht Society and one of the founders of the Superyacht Aid Coalition. If your name is Norma Treese, you cannot be the fucking president of the International Superyacht Society. <laughs> You've got to pick one weird thing. You can't have everything. I'm, I'm very into the Superyacht Aid Coalition. I think that yeah. was part of like the, that was part of the invasion of Iraq. You know, it was like Latvia, uh, a couple of guys from Finland, all of the super yacht guys. They were just yeah, doing donuts on the Basra. The South Korean army for some reason. <laughs> Providing critical support in the Gulf. <laughs> uh, we needed to be able to harness the power of yachting to do good. We realized how serious... Oh, I so the- seldom harness the power of yachting to do anything. Our boys out there in the Gulf, when they've been when they've been fighting the Iraqis, they're, they're going to need some downtown. They're going to need some A&R. <laughs> they're going to need to... They're going to need to jet ski. Okay? <laughs> Just you need to go out to your yachts. Yeah, yeah. You need to have a nice time. They're going to eat some grapes. <laughs> I barely harness the power of yachting to do yachting, let alone to do good, you know? I don't think I've ever power- harnessed the power of yachting, if I'm being honest. Yeah, let's, let's go around the table and talk about how often we've harnessed the power of yachting here. Uh, zero <laughs> times. Zero <laughs> times. <laughs> conspicuous silence from Riley. We realized how serious the impact of these hurricanes was. 
not just to our yachting playground, but also from the mm. point of view of our clients. If islands can't recover, then we're out of business. So this, this is, is the like, Teddy Roosevelt conservation thing of like yeah. if we if we like bulldoze Yosemite, where am I going to go to like hunt moose or yes. whatever? Yeah, exactly. Or or or, or the uh, you know the ski resorts uh, contributing to climate change measures, right? Mm. It's like the, the, it's purely a rational economic self interest thing. They have no interest in the planet. So mm. yeah, you got to keep it cold. So I was reading um, Dock Walk magazine, which is a trade magazine for yacht crew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's oh, the duck yeah. of the walk, baby. Yeah. It was originally called Docking Magazine, but they had a lot of truck problems. Um, the first quote, by the way, came from a magazine for super yacht owners and executives called Boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you subscribe to Boat? Yeah, I, it was previously called Motorboat Magazine, but it had the same issue as Docking Magazine. <laughs> so they, this is them talking about Operation Swimway, which was a conservation activity they did. They said. <laughs> Sorry. Every fucking name in this thing. Yeah. Operation Swimway. Yeah. Oh, oh my god, is is that the new bilge? <laughs> Here's another conservation project, uh, which is which they talk about in Dock Walk. Um, it's that they're working to get more conservation projects on the ground. I already made that joke. Um, including, including with this company called Tahiti Private Expeditions, where they're doing a big shark identification activity. Excuse me. <laughs> Pointing at sharks. That's a shark. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> well, they resulted in 10 sharks being tagged in the water surrounding French Polynesia with the help of an unnamed super yacht in the area. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, when we take the yacht down to Ibiza, I've been identified sharking a few times. <laughs> <laughs> also, come, like, come on. You're helping an unidentified super yacht tag rare sharks? You are helping a supervillain. Yeah, y- y- you are a Bond henchman right. at that point. You have been employed. So you are his Vargas. Yeah, well, you get um, that job in Henchman Magazine. Exactly. I was really hoping for a job as like boat magazine society correspondent. Ooh. You know, do do a column like you know. At some point, well, though they're they all have bylines in um in boat magazine. You can look. Um, mm. and, but what I what I want to see is I want to see trade the magazine for unusual trade magazines. Sure, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, well, that trade magazine has a different. Mm. It's a meta magazine. I, I think like the the uh, the <laughs> vertical for the culture or the society on boats should be called like four deck. Mm. Yeah, Wait. society at sea with Alice Caldwell Kelly. So, so yeah. let, let me let me carry on with Operation Swimway. The op, the idea <laughs> is to provide a quote immersive and educational experience for yacht owners and guests as they focus on the conservation of critical migration corridors. Guests on vessels participating are able to work alongside scientists. See, so it's some like some drunk billionaire's idiot nephew. No, can it's can like- you fucking imagine? Like, like seriously, being some sort of like a, an actual. Uh- what the fuck do they call those people who work in the ocean? Marine biologist, a marine biologist. Uh, like imagine being an actual like credentialed marine biologist, right? And and you know exactly what you're looking for. You know exactly how you're looking for it. In You've some, dedicated your life to the marine biology corps. Yes, in some fucking mm. asshole, like <laughs> drunk off, you know, three beers. Like, hey, is that a shark? Like that would be the most fucking annoying thing imaginable. Sergey Brin is floating above us in his Zeppelin, twirling his moustache that he's grown, hurling bundles of dynamite down into the ocean, <laughs> getting splattered with shark guts. Um, I think it's nice to show how some yacht owners really care, mm. said Christelle Haller of Tahiti Private Investiga- uh, Expeditions. I also think Excuse that's me. nice. Yeah, yeah, I think we're unanimous on that one. That's a nice <laughs> thing Christelle Haller. Christelle Haller. Sorry, continue. <laughs> 
<laughs> Some of them want to really want to use what they have to make a difference, and just one yacht owner could make a huge difference. That is true. And the difference is the difference is again to to identifying sharks. I, I am just trying to figure out in the whole process of listening to this, Ooh. like what are they saying they can change or like how can they positively what what is their sort of understanding of how they can positively impact society? Because it it feels like there's a lot of like the yachting community should yeah. be respected, but it's like, what, mm. what, what, what are you doing? I'm, I'm confused. It, it's, it's classic rich people activism, right? Because what they're doing is they're raising awareness, right. but what they're raising awareness of is that is I a shark. I would have respect for them if they were like, yeah, we're, re we're, re we're, we're stopping renaming, we're stopping naming boats like women's names, and we're going to give them like, uh, you know, gender neutral, like they, them, uh, oh, yeah, definitely. they, them designations. Yeah, well, uh, well, the, this is... Boat is already prettier, they, them. So this is another, uh, this is another set of things that they do is like anything you might need a boat for, Yacht Aid will try and find that boat. So like lots of like drop dropping off supplies in disaster areas and stuff, which itself is a good thing to do. It's just why do those places have so few supplies? Why do they need no, them no, no? Off? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm not even gonna like uh, allow us to sort of whitewash it that much. If you go to like a disaster zone, like an actual disaster on a super yacht, and you try and deliver <laughs> supplies, they should do you Captain Cook yeah. style. It should be over for you. You should not make it out of the surf. Maybe this is what this is. Maybe it's a conspiracy to actually get super yacht owners murdered. Sure. By like people who are very angry about the fact that the tsunami just destroyed their, you know, South Pacific village or whatever. Well, mm. I have one more. This is a selection from Boat. Um, <laughs> Wait, in Boat is like, sorry, it, it is or is not like The Economist in that there are bylines. Uh, boat is like bylines, is, is not like okay. The Economist. There are bylines. Right. Uh, boat is like the FT of the yachting community. Dock walk <laughs> is like uh, the mirror. Excellent. Nice. All of this stuff maps one to yeah. one. This from know? Kay Wiggins in Boat Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> so here's here's a funny one, um, and I think some of our our um, our audience is going to laugh out loud at this at this sentence, which definitely was not run by a particularly diverse panel. Yachts. And cruising grounds, that, and the, excuse me, yachts and the cruising grounds they call home have a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> okay, okay, hold on. The when I hear cruising grounds, I'm just like, oh yeah, that's Balboa Park. Like, the, 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 hmm. there are many famous cruising grounds, and many of them happen to be in the cities of San Francisco and San Diego. Your aid can lend you a boat for oh, cruising, which was something that came mm. up a lot in Docking Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, just, like, just like sailing the Maldives. I'm like, why does it smell like pop? <laughs> why is my asshole dilating? <laughs> I'm, I'm so often asking myself I just this. got done yacht-aiding, and boy, is my asshole tired. So, here, here's some more that you're going to enjoy. Um... Captain Tom Forderer, previously sailing the yacht Vivid, uh, Come on, had the following vivid? to say. Tom Forderer? Yeah. <laughs> Captain, Captain Forderer. By Captain Tom, yeah. Yeah, Captain Tom Forderer, previously of Brazzers, said. <laughs> this Captain is in Johnny said. He's, he's a mashup of Captain Tom and Tom Ford and Roger Federer. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and he does it all. He, he, he designs, yeah. he, he, he does uh, cocaine, he plays tennis. And, uh, and and whatever Roger Federer does. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a movement, he said. We're, we want to make giving back part of yachting's culture. It's common sense that yachts act for, as a force for good in these areas. When it, people see big yachts, 
they think decadence and bling, but we yes. have to change the culture and image of yachting to a caring industry that provides stewardship for the world's cr- coastal cruising communities that we rely on. <laughs> <laughs> so I made like salty sea gays. Are they like trying to sort of like rebrand yacht owners as like pirates or like, like woke pirates? Yeah, woke pirates. Yeah, as yeah. pirates. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or, or just like humanitarians that sail the sea because that feels like. A different thing to yours. Like, I feel like when it comes to doing a rebrand because you want to appear to be less out of touch, the yachting community is probably not the sort of demographic that right. you need to do that for. I feel like if there's one, if there's one group that is allowed to kind of be decadent, it is probably people who own yachts. Like we all sort mm. of expect well, people- that's going to be the case. I don't understand why they want to rebrand. It's- well, they feel bad is why <laughs> they want to rebrand. They, they don't. <laughs> They feel bad. Well, Hussein, I've got and... this from R Magazine. Um, <laughs> that's formerly Hard R Magazine, but they had to change that as well. <laughs> it says, uh, when you're involved as an owner, you can connect with and contribute to the places you're cruising, and your cruising experience will improve <laughs> tenfold. Come, Come on. Yeah, you got to like look after the bushes or whatever, yeah. or the bathroom Again, stall. Sponsor like, a bathroom stall. I if I I made like I don't know eight hundred million dollars selling you know gunch to Sergey Brin and instead of trying to make myself immortal I want to like cruise on my super yacht and I'm going to be eat my soul is going to be eaten away at mm. by seeing the sort of grueling poverty people are left in so I need an organization whose job is to make me feel better but also while doing so from the comfort of my well, yacht right because the alternative is just getting rid of the yachts right there's there's no world in which we can have private ownership of 300 foot yachts and be able to genuinely provide for everyone. It's just, it's just too much of an extreme symbol of wealth inequality. Okay, hang on. I've just invented a guy, right? Mm. Rich guy who really wants to look after the local gay cruising ground because he's a big supporter of the LGBT community. And he's like, I went well, the, the, into one of these toilets that the local gay men used for cruising and I was disgusted to see that many of the toilet stalls they're using have holes in the walls. So I've had all of those filled in by my personal maintenance team. This is basically the one Tory MP who stopped them from making poppers illegal. Uh, which, mm. yeah, yeah, there'd be someone uh, called Quentin for sure. Yeah. It, it might, it might even have been Crispin Blunt who is now counted. Crispin, uh, Crispin Blunt, as in spark up there. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I almost wasn't going to do yacht aid today because I was like, ah, I don't know. I'm very happy that we did. <laughs> Um, because Milo, your your charity, I just it, it brought it out of me. However, we have a, a little bit of news, of course. Um, play the Captain Tom Sen Sting because the saga is final. At least this part of the saga is finally at an end. The planning enforcement officer Richard Proctor from Central Bedfordshire Council. That's a great name for a planet planning enforcement officer, Dick Proctor. Yes, it said. That while the original Captain Tom Memorial greeting card storage facility was approved because the balance of public benefit outweighed the harm, that the scheme was strictly for storing greeting cards and no information to be given to the council about the use of a spa, so they, that the family of Captain Tom has now been ordered to tear down their spa. No. I hate this fucking country. Ladies and gentlemen, Britain has officially fallen. <laughs> Captain Tom, yeah. tear down this spa. 
<laughs> it's it's gone woke. It's gone What's woke. Classic, you know what? Classic nimbyism. They don't want anything built. <laughs> uh, it's not in keeping with the yeah. character of the neighborhood. To be <laughs> fair, it is very ugly. The, the, the spa that they've built. The, this type of like um, walkable mixed use urbanism is actually illegal mm. to build in many British suburbs. Uh, like, yeah, H- Hannah like tried to convince them that a community onsen would be would be uh, would be a welcome a welcome uh, uh, addition to addition to the town. Uh, but they said no. Yeah, they, they said, offered the entire yeah, council a new room massage, but they turned it down. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, uh, all of our nation's veterans are going to be filthy now. They have nowhere to bathe in a sort of like ritual style. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, so that's right. The, <laughs> the um, speaking of cruising yeah, grounds, can I just say they did release some photos of the interior yes. of the Captain Tom Spa, oh. and one of them was a jacuzzi, which is already highly, like, sex people coded, mm. but with a couch facing that jacuzzi, like an ordinary fabric couch. And also the floor around it was carpeted. That's very important. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's not right. Yes. That's the most uncomfortable implication or inference I've drawn from a photo. Well, and I feel like you could forgive it if it was built in, like, the 90s, the 80s or the 90s, because that was the style at the mm. time, but, like, the fact that Exactly. But the fact that this is brand new construction and it looks like that is is just deeply upsetting on just a primal level. <laughs> I hate it when I turn up accidentally at gay hour at the Captain Tom Spa. <laughs> so, so here's here's the thing. Some more information about what they intended it to be has now also come up. Um because we've talked about how they wanted it to be a community center. They wanted it to be a pool that could rehabilitate Captain Tom after his death. Like maybe they thought they'd built the fountain they re- of youth. Rehabilitate? Mm. Like they'd, they'd put him in the pool? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He was going to do laps of the pool. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They were going to turn him into like a precog from Minority Report. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. <laughs> they, they also said that they would use the rest of the building, which is outside their house, for coffee mornings and charity meetings to combat elderly loneliness. What, why is the couch facing the jacuzzi to combat the elderly loneliness? For elderly swingers parties. <laughs> right, yeah. everyone, pillboxes in the bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well maybe, well, maybe it's because like in a meeting, some people want to be in the jacuzzi and some people would want to not be in the jacuzzi. Oh, just like so a, it, a business meeting. Like, like, so, so it'd be like a normal business meeting. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that makes we're sense. actually we're actually sitting in the jacuzzi right now. Uh, me and Milo, and I'm sitting on the couch. Yeah, right. Well, the jacuzzi on the foredeck of the trash yacht. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, we got to get this recording done in time so that we can go and you know do yacht aid. Yeah. We're about to make land in Bangladesh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, also in the news, of course, is um, we've had. A, it appears that there may be another yogurt geezer uh, situation. A yogurt geezer. Yep, and Scott. In Scotland this time, do you remember John McNaughton, uh, the guy, the Brexit Party canvasser who was photographed uh, because some Antifa had thrown cherry yogurt on him? Oh, uh, was he the one who was uh, like a, pa- a parachute regiment guy? So, yeah. so, yes. so, 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 so the, con- so the yes. context of this, because I forget it until the story is told me. So during the con- like in the weeks running up to this moment, uh, there was a thing called there was like a milkshaking thing, right? So there was like this fear yes. that um people uh that like you know right wing people would be attacked by Antifa right. with milkshakes, the concrete milkshake. I remember this, yeah. And then that evolved to like you know the milkshaking is dangerous right. because there might be concrete in that milkshake. Yeah. Someone might be lactose intolerant. Exactly. They might shit themselves. That's an important yeah. thing. That's mm-hmm. why I avoid milkshakes. Yeah, what if it's an oat milk milkshake? But well, actually, then that should be fine, right? I don't know. Well, maybe I don't know. Um, but yeah, the milkshaking context is important in this because it makes the story even funnier. 
Mm. But so we had a Scottish version of this because in the midst of the protests, um, there was there have been a couple of attempts to like force this narrative that woke Hamas supporters are physically attacking the people who distribute like uh, poppies, paper red oh, poppies for poppy appeal. Okay. Um, and so in Waverley Station in Edinburgh, which is I think like per square foot the most surveillance cameras anywhere in Scotland. Uh, this guy for the Scottish Poppy Appeal, this veteran, was like, I was punched and kicked uh, by woke Hamas. And so, uh, you know, the police investigated this, and despite all of this kind of like uh, CCTV, despite thousands of potential witnesses, uh, after, what, two days, that was then closed for lack of evidence. So, you know, critical support to the extremely stealthy woke a mass agent who was able to sort of like punch and kick this guy and get away with it. It's no surprise to me that the woke cowards would attempt this kind of attack in Edinburgh because I tell you what, they would have gotten very short shrift if they attempted to attack someone selling poppy products and derivatives in Glasgow. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the other thing I think it's important to say about this, which sort of brings us on to what I wanted to talk about, about the the new right in the States uh, versus here comparing sort of um, like Suella Braverman and what she's doing to um, uh, looking at some of the campaigns, um, the state, the gubernatorial campaigns in uh, Ohio, Arkansas, and Kentucky. Yeah, right? I mean Braverman. Braverman might be out in the next couple of days, which is a real to do this half an hour into an episode that's primarily been about yachting is in real sort of yeah. like in other news the president was assassinated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what I want, what I wanted to say is like this is bringing us in there, which is that of course immediately. Right, Rishi Sunak res- um, responds as though again this thing actually happened. Right, he says it is disgusting that there was an attack on a poppy seller because it is of crucial importance to the ongoing like right wing project in this country that it believes it is constantly under attack and that the stakes are constantly rising and that you are always a little bit less safe every day and closer to needing to take quote unquote decisive action. Yeah, with your yacht. It's also interesting that the. The Royal British Legion has now sort of, uh, you know, it's become this kind of like untouchable thing, despite the fact that it is, you know, it's a, it's a charity that does politics. Uh, I stopped wearing a poppy in 2014 after they put kids in future soldier t-shirts, uh, which is political as well, fuck. And also they invented that disease, which is pretty nasty. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it has the same legal standing as yacht aid, right? <laughs> but uh, this is now like a sort of a, a sacrosanct thing. Um that woke woke Hamas have been assaulting, and despite the total lack of evidence of it. And, you know, this is all, this is sort of at a very low level, something that's been happening here, I think now for, that has come and gone, but that has been in a wave in the UK, I think since about 2015, this belief that there is, that uh, like about half the country, or now it's gotten to half the country, it was never, wasn't half the country back then, but this the group has grown bigger and bigger and bigger as the government gets more and more unpopular, uh, and they do things that are more and more unpopular, is about to uh, get the goddamn like rage virus and start mm. just hacking apart uh, you know, well, patriotic, right-thinking Brits. And anyone would be on edge after last week when 500,000 people joined Hamas. <laughs> mm. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the biggest influx yeah. to Hamas since Jeremy Corbyn became leader of the Labour Party. <laughs> It's because Hamas put down the minimum membership contribution to three pounds. 
you know, and that this is this is the low level version of that. Sick like, of when I have to go through a station and I always feel obliged to like give the Hamas <laughs> guy a couple of quid to get a Hamas headband, you know. Re-upping my subscription to patreon.com slash Hamas. The Royal Hamas <laughs> Legion. No. no. This is uh <laughs> this is the sort of like low level micro version, right? This is a guy responding to the news who I will bet you anything. If you strapped into a lie detector test, we'll fully believe that he was attacked by like the characters from that Israeli sketch show, basically. Yeah. Right. Mm. You know, he will fully believe that. Whatever. Um, and that this is it, it, this is connected. Yeah, because to- he got a fucking like TBI in Northern Ireland when the baton gun he was using to like blind a child recoiled <laughs> into his head. Like I don't. <sighs> no. This is, but this is the same time, right? Where again, you alluded to this earlier, right, Alice? Like, like Suella mm. Braverman is currently picking a fight with the Metropolitan Police because the new right in the UK knows only how to do this thing, this this ratcheting up of tension that we've been talking about for a few weeks now, really, right? Where mm. she says, "I do not believe that these marches are a cry for help for Gaza. They are an assertion of a, an assertion of primacy by certain groups, particularly Islamist, of the kind that we're more used to seeing in Northern Ireland." Disturbingly, yeah, beautiful, of masterful, masterful invocation of um of of like orange walks there in a way that like absolutely fucks her politically because you know all of those people are like you know essential to you know the conservative party um you know at at that kind of remove and also like it it, it's really strange the mention of like marching there because i think it kind of you have this theory really that you know uh suella braverman is sort of like the way that she is because she's a true believer i think she's just like she performs true believer better um and i think i think the way to understand the mention of marches in Northern Ireland there is as a lapse where she's like accidentally revealed the sort of consensus Westminster opinion, which is that yes, the Orange Order are obviously batshit. Um, and of course, you know, all of their marches are provocative. Um, and she's just kind of worked that in, in, you know, unintentionally into trying to, you know, uh, ban a call for a ceasefire. Yeah, so and, uh, that's, that's possibly true, but she also says, the, that this is a complaint about the police, that she is concerned, mm. right, that the police are not doing exactly what she says. And she says that they are not even-handedly policing, because if they were even-handedly policing, obviously they wouldn't let Hamas demonstrate in the streets. Saying, there's I mean, a pers- do, do you remember when they killed Ian Tomlinson? Because that, that, to me, struck me as an example of like heavy-handed policing. Um, but no, her her examples for this are all like, oh, then you know they're not nice to the EDL, which it's you know, lockdown objectors. It says during COVID, ah, why was it that okay. lockdown objectors were given no quarter by public police, yet Black Lives Matter demonstrators were enabled, allowed to break rules, and even greeted with officers taking again? The do do we not remember the Sarah Everard vigil, uh, or, or have we just memory hold that? Apparently, uh, I, I mean the thing is here, the real sort of political thing is that. Uh, she's sort of like unwisely gone against the Met as an institution, and we've talked about the Met before, and we've talked about the, the sort of the pull that it has, and how much sort of dirty laundry it has collected on politicians. Uh, if this does prove fatal to her, it's don't let anyone bullshit you that this is like you know uh, in order to protect police like operational independence or some like civil liberties thing, because although it might incidentally do those, and it would be good if it does. 
Um, you know, the 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 mark here is not that you know a Home Secretary is trying to organize a far right uh, sort of like riot. It's it's not even that she's trying to like micromanage the police. It's that she's making the cops look bad, and you know that's that's not a kind of degree of interference that they they can tolerate. Uh, there, there was a lady adjacent to the position of Home Secretary who was engaged in a <laughs> uh, in an in invective in an attempt to uh, portray the constabulary in a in a somewhat uh, unfavorable manner. Uh, we intercoursed and- with the lady. Uh, and we're able to come to a reasonable <laughs> conclusion without placing her out of caution. Now, here's the here's where I sort of begin to connect this up to something broader, which is that what this has done is this has disturbed some of the people who have always wanted to stir, stir up fear and hatred of the left minorities or other groups, but wanted that fear and hatred to go this far and no further. Because what Braverman is saying is that it always requires more action, not just hinting at action, not just moving towards the sort of the direction and momentum of right-wing politics, but actually finally doing it, finally taking in hand and changing the institutions that they don't like, finally, you know, criminalizing huge amounts of the population, and so on and so on. And, you know, what I was thinking of, and one of the reasons I think we wanted to also like talk about the states in this example, right, is that we are seeing those same, some of those same tendencies in the American like new right with its own sort of dealing with having caught the car in this sense, right? And the car, of course, being the Dobbs decision, um, now sort of flailing and beginning to actually alienate some of its erstwhile allies in uh, Ohio, Kentucky, and Arkansas, where recent elections, and you know, we don't really talk about American politics on this show um, unless we can generalize it to something that's comparable to British politics, and I think it's worthwhile doing here, because what we've seen in the last couple of days is significant wins for Democratic governors or ballot measures um, for enshrining abortion in, con- in the Constitution by, like, bath party margins. Yeah, um, the, the American people yeah. are woke and yeah. soy and well, gay. I mean, it, uh, and, and you can see the numbers here, too, right? I looked some of this up before recording just because I was like, what exactly do the numbers look like right now? And you can take uh, a state like Michigan, for instance, which is the state I grew up in, and it's, it's sort of a bellwether, Right. Um, right now in the current polls, uh, Trump is up 5% in Michigan, according to an NYT Siena poll that came out this week. But when you pull those exact same Michigan voters on the issue of abortion, 60% of, no, sorry, 62% of them rather say that abortion should be mostly or always legal. So like it, the thing the, the thing about, I guess, and, and I don't know if this is sort of the same way that the body politic or, or a I guess, approach to the law works uh, here in the UK, but at least in the United States, it's this thing where we we have this idea of the rule of law. And, and by and large, people are like, yes, you should follow the law. But what those laws actually are, we tend to just go off of vibes. <laughs> and then mm, yeah. at, and, and so that allows the right to push things pretty hard in terms of what they think the law of the land ought to actually be. However, when you get to the point of something like the Dobbs decision, then people are immediately like, wait, I thought the law said that you could have an abortion, which it never really totally did. And so you then have the parallel, but, uh, you know, equally uh, or I guess more like perpendicular really approaches to it where it's like, are we going to try to make it illegal or are we going to try to roll it back slowly but surely? Uh, the frog and water approach tends to work better, but many of these states uh, saw the Dobbs decision as their opportunity to really jump in and double back down. And most voters aren't having it. 
Um, which I think is 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 interesting because for a very long time, the conservative right were able to just sort of push things a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And it was with these fetal heartbeat laws uh, that started passing states mostly in like 2019, where people started being like, wait, no, hold the fuck on. Like something is happening here and we need to fight it. Well, mm. I, I think part of it is also just is is comes down to weirdness. And I think that's... Yes, yeah, that's, I, I want to talk about trans people because yeah. this is the thing. This this has been one of the biggest like pushes on a culture war, one of the most sudden ones that I've seen in American political history of the last couple of election cycles, really going like full bore on like, you know, uh, trans people are groomers, are like, you know, sort of um, mutilating children. And every single time... As best I can tell, and I, I mean that I cannot think of an exception. It just has not gone over electorally. Like it, I cannot point to a single election in the U.S. where it has made the difference, and I can point to a lot where it has like actually turned people off because it's so weird. Like it's so strange and alienating to have a guy like Matt Walsh with his spray painted on beard just sort of talk at you for a half hour about. You ever this think shit. about who's it's got a so, dick and balls? Ugh. He's so like, it's so weird. It's so weird to get like a woman who came like seventh in like a college swim meet whining on TV about like fairness right. and women's sports, something which Americans have never ever cared about. Uh, and it just it doesn't it doesn't work. Like Trump's polling ahead of them because he has charisma and you know he he seems like when people have this vague idea that he's going to fix the economy right. or whatever. But on to, in terms of like any of the actual like social policies that they want to do, people hate them. They've always hated them, and the only thing that's new about abortion is that they're noticing that it applies exactly, to them. Exactly, exactly. And I think that the same thing is true with those uh, those state laws regarding like trans kids participating in sports, right? Where mm. it's the difference between somebody else's kid versus my kid, and the vast majority of people who have kids who are doing sports. This is not an issue it, 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 in, in one part, because in many states, you just don't really have trans kids wanting to compete. But to the extent that they do, it's not a problem. Like th these are kids playing sports. It's not a big deal. And when you see that happen with your kid, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, this is they're, 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 they got a friend on the team. Cool. And, and that's where it begins and ends, you know. And, yeah, and then we have a bunch of like sinister guys from out of state trying to like write laws about how uh, you know uh, they should get to inspect all of the kids' right. genitals. Yeah, I was I was sort of thinking like is is one of the sort of uh, the the pullbacks from this a, re a slow realization that oh if like this becomes a law like you know I I it's 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 one thing to sort of fantasize about like bullying someone that I don't like or I have personal grievances against it's another to sort of realize that oh this becoming law means that my child has to uh be genital inspected as well right yes yes exactly like if you've got a if you've got a kid who in in this happened not too long ago in uh I think it was in British Columbia so Canada technically uh but uh, there was that in Kelowna, there was like a track meet and there was like this insane dad who was so convinced that one of the girls running was trans. And, and, and he was just like yelling, just bellowing about it. And I think like another parent got into the fight with this guy and he hit that. But like this is that's the only thing that can come about if this is how you're doing policy is you're just going to have a. a, a just a whole bunch of like horrible little self-appointed martinets who's the only thing that they can do is keep the law for everyone around them because they and only they can be the arbiters of 
what kid ought to be able to play sport. It's fucking ridiculous. Whereas Trump understands how the working man thinks. He's like, people want to talk about trans women. I'll talk about it. They're making more women, folks. I heard about this. I heard about it up and down the country. They're making more women. Okay, I'm not. I'm not gay. I'm not against it. I say you want to make more. We'll make more of them. We'll make more. Listen, Donald Trump, property developer, rich in Manhattan in the eighties. One hundred percent. Uh, the first, if not the only president to have fucked a trans woman. <laughs> I'm telling you, some of them quite beautiful. Quite beautiful, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know. Do, do you know that Trump, like, Trump specifically and personally, like, overrode the decision that trans women couldn't compete in Miss Universe? Really? He owned it. <laughs> That's, that is true. That's wild. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the thing that we have in common between these two approaches, the weirdening of both the, and, and isolating and, and strangening of the UK and US rights is that they have both become so isolated. Um, you know, the US right um, is, is less isolated than the British right. Uh, we've talked about that actually with Patrick Wyman, why they're more able to respond to the concerns of the petit bourgeois than the British right, which is completely unable to, right? But that in both cases, you know they they are they have been overtaken by the ideology of them and their friends mostly from the internet whether that's like facebook groups on the sort of local level or twitter and the sort of party political right. level yeah you're matt walsh's and then, in the world yeah yeah the matt walsh's but I've also been only, like, i remember when the milkman had an xl bully facebook group <laughs> and it's fascinating but, reading but right the um for example like the, like Suella Braverman, like it's not saying she that that her strategy isn't isn't necessarily a good one for like probably becoming Tory leader, right? But she is playing to a very small base. She's playing to the Tory party membership that just is a Tory party members because they are paranoid and strange, and so she is reflecting their paranoid, strange style of politics back at them. I'm Suella, and you know, the, and you can see how people find it off putting. Like seventy six percent of the population, she would basically see as ba- more or less in Hamas. Like mm-hmm. that is the that is the, the activity of someone who is fundamentally detached. The Tory party wants to deport um, everyone who isn't in the parliamentary Tory party, and but, then yeah. What's so wild to me about that though? is that they will turn right back around and say that populist policies as espoused by politicians like, you know, Bernie and Jeremy Corbyn or whatever, uh, that these are the policies that are so out of touch with what it is that people want. But then when you take those policies and you put them in front of the voters, it Mm. always wins. It always wins. The British system is specifically designed to forestall that from happening, which is why I actually think weirdness is less electoral poison in the UK than it is in the US. Mm. Quite simply because you They're can all you weird. never got to vote for one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you never get to disaggregate. You never you have very little choice in choosing your candidate, mm. and it's not like at the same time as you vote for like your MP, you also vote for the dog catcher and the school supervisor and all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah. We've we've our, our next election is. It's Starmer or Sunak. It's two Mayor Pete's running against one another. <laughs> uh, like, those are the options. Mayor's Pete is Mayor's the uh, Pete, preferred. Right, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's two Mayor Pete's right, running against one another, both of whom are basically responding to Suella Braverman at this point. Both of whom are responding to what they think the right of the Tory party is, because ultimately, right, like th- I was talking to Nate about this earlier, actually, and he says, like, fundamentally, Bircherism was invented in in America and then perfected in the United oh, Kingdom by sure. an Australian. For sure. Yeah. You know, that, that it is that that we have mainstream bircherism here, right? That that the beliefs of that 
political beliefs that are considered to be relatively mainstream in the UK are considered baffling and strange to the American voter. And I think that's a function of how isolated and deeply protected the political media class is in this country, how how protected our elites are from circulation. It's strange, too, because it doesn't the, the two sort of, I don't know, call them sides or whatever, labor versus Tory, Democrat versus Republican. They don't really overlap each other exactly. It's more of like an orthogonal thing, like it's been rotated mm. almost where, you know, in both cases, obviously, you have parties that are primarily interested in the well-being of of, of the bourgeois and, 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 you know, the petty bourgeois. But whereas with the American political system, you have this sort of, I don't know, Democrats at least have an interest in advancing actual progressive social policy, as is the case with obviously these these uh, abortion uh, laws. And, and you have somebody like Andy Bashir in Kentucky who can actually defend the right to an abortion and win in a state like Kentucky, which is impressive. Um, you know, there there is a willingness to at least on the social issues, double down and be steadfast. I don't really see that with labor right now. It seems like there is just this sort of fear, like you were saying, Riley, of like, well, if Suella Braverman says this, then we need to like somehow get a counter argument to her when the reality is you don't need to acknowledge that art at all. You just need to set up what it is that you want to do. Mm. And, and, and even if you know, they might run ads, be like, oh, to- Rishi is just responding to what Braverman is saying. Fundamentally, the politics that everybody is responding to are her politics. Right. The agenda mm. that they're responding to is her agenda because in this, and I think the re- one of the reasons for the di- that difference between sort of the way that works here and how that agenda, that weirdness agenda can be so powerful is that ultimately it is cloistered. And that all of these people know one another. And so the loudest person in a very small room ends up defining the whole conversation. And that also very, very, very few people in the, U- in the UK have any opportunity to affect that because most of the newspapers they read, most of the chat shows they watch, all of that is in London. And it's the same 500 freaks who are all doing it, whether, regardless of party or, or, or whether or not they're technically a politician or a think tanker or a journalist. It's all the same 500 freaks who are all weird in the same way. There's no one who isn't weird. I was going to say that like the ecosystem that the politics like that Keir Starmer and I guess Rishi Sunak as well sort of react to is like it almost feels like independent of them. Right. And so and I think like Riley sort of echoed it in the sense of you have this very small group of newspaper reporters, a uh, very small group of think tankers who like and, th- and there's this like one straight pipeline. Right. There is like lots of demonstrable examples of people who went from like CCHQ to like this Vittori like, you know, research center to like a big newspaper to a think tank and then sure. like as like there are there are several people who are operating at high end of British politics right now who have literally gone down that pipeline yeah. so they get to really decide like what the contours are for like what is sort of like acceptable discussion I think a lot of the stuff around like you know what uh, a lot of the really like sort of heavy gaslighting stuff around Gaza mm-hmm. really sort of stems from like these people trying to basically get to tell you or try to tell people like this is what you are allowed to talk about this is how you can talk about it and if you don't do that then we're going to try and cast you as like an enemy of the state or like if we have you know in the case of like Suella Braverman and her like this, the thing that she is seemingly doing is like well we will use the instruments of the state to render you to be like not only an opponent but like a fifth column right yeah. and it's like one of the reasons why I've noticed that like among some of the right-wing columnists like they've really 
It, I, I don't want to say like his mask off because it's always been there, but they've been like a lot more open about it, right? In open and saying that, mm. you know, these people who are at the Palestine protests, it's not just like, you know, there used to be a time where it's like, oh, these are just like left wing cranks or they're sort of like, you know, naive Corbynistas. But now they're sort of going on TV and being like, no, these people are terrorists. Yeah, like these yeah. people are the ones who actually cheered on like, you know, the attacks and all that stuff. And we should be deporting them, right? Yes. We should be using the strength of the state to deport them, which I find like amusing in the sense that this is very much just like a, their own sort of genocidal fantasies finally coming out but it is very telling about like how easy these guys can s- sort of get to or how much license has been given for them to sort of define the realms of acceptability now being pushed to it ex- pushed to pushed to ex- extremes and i think you have a, a a parallel environment to that in the united states right where like you've got you know the harvard to aei to congress pipeline that's a real thing however I don't think that stateside, the media culture is quite as in bed with the politicians in the same way, which isn't to say that there aren't, you know, journalists who are paid off. There absolutely are. But there is at least this idea, maybe, that there ought to ought to be the, you know, the the, the fifth estate or whatever. Um, And so you don't get quite as much of that, although it's been interesting also seeing uh, various American commentators, politicians, etc., doing that exact same line of rhetoric and having it not land very effectively with average Americans in a way that I have never seen in 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 in, mm. in our country. Yeah. Um, well, in Britain, you have to understand that like there are all these pipes of media influence, and you know they're running into like you know conservative policy, Labour policy, the newspapers, whatever. But they're all linked up to the same big vat back in a factory sure, somewhere, sure. and it's labelled <laughs> Julia Hartley Brewer. <laughs> <laughs> Julia Hartley Brewer's heady brew, a very weak milky tea. Yeah, it's like, it's like it, British politicians and 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 media people do believe they've found the swing voter, and mm. who? Mm. Wow, it's them. Wow, it's Julia Hartley Brewer. That's crazy. This is this is the same this is the same woman who said that Owen Jones was in ISIS. I, I'm I'm discovering that's that's good shit. I, I'd like mm-hmm. I'd like to move on though to our our last run the Julia Hartley Brewer brew. Thank oh, you. I was once shown by someone who works in radio a picture of the cups of tea that Julia Hartley Brewer drinks, and it just looks like a glass of skimmed milk. Oh God! He said he said people call her Julia Hartley Brewer. He was like, <laughs> he, he said honestly that's some real inside baseball he was like if, the, if this got out he's like honestly I think this would be the thing that brought her down is if people could see the kind of cursed cups of tea that this woman is drinking Brewer I hardly knew her that's right Julia hardly shall knew her shall we move on to our final bit of fun mm. uh, because people have been asking Riley are you going to talk about Catherine Burblesing's letter to Marks and Spencer about their Christmas advertisement on the podcast? And I would like to tell them in the dying minutes of this show, yes, yes, we are going to do that. So if you don't, if you're in America and you are, uh, want to come back to the comfortable British conversations, just know that the closest thing that we have in this country to a Super Bowl advert are the big department stores making sort of minute-long advertisements before Christmas, like yeah. the John Lewis ad, the M&S yeah. ad. There'll be a soft always... indie girl voice acoustic cover of a song that you already sure. know. So this is like kind of the Budweiser with the Clydesdale yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, there'll, yeah. there'll be like a little mm. girl who makes friends with like a pedophile who lives on the moon or whatever. <laughs> you know, there'll be like a heartwarming <laughs> British story and you'll give her yeah. like a box of milk tray or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I'll be yeah, like, no. you stay away from that man now. 
Not your chocolates. I think the idea of nonces in space is a very fun, funny thing. <laughs> what has happened is that in the last eight or so years, the Christmas adverts from the department stores, as the department stores have decided that, you know, paranoid 80-year-old Facebook people are not their core demographic, mm. have increasingly become... Uh, the annual targets for outrage that happens to come at the same time as the poppy outrage season. Uh, November is a mad month in Britain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why is there no poppy in the Marks and Spencer's ad? So Marks and Spencer's have gone woke, basically. Yeah. Marks and Spencer, and you don't need to know too much about the ad. It's basically just like people who are going to do some big bombastic thing for Christmas, like... Uh, I don't know, um, use a blowtorch to, you know, toast my, my marshmallows on the outside of a gingerbread house yeah, yeah. or put like some decorate. Like, it's just them being like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to take some time for myself. And the music is Sigrid's cover of Mr. Bombastic by Shaggy, which is interesting. They call me Mr. Bombastic. Anna Waddingham shows up and she sets some Christmas cards on fire with her uh, creme brulee torch. Fairly fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, now, <laughs> what I what, what I have said is true. That is the ad, right? It's it's simple as that. It's just you know a, a various like mothers just being like, you know what? I'm not going to spend 17 hours making a turkey this time. They can deal with it. Fe- feminism win, yeah. you know. Make make your own fucking Christmas. <laughs> I dinner. still didn't understand why she set her Christmas cards on fire. <laughs> what was a, that? It's an advert for the wine mums. They're like, yeah, you can, you fucking make it, you lazy man. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see your no. fucking useless father make it. He doesn't even fuck me anymore. My mum, Julie Birchett. <laughs> uh, I can't make it because I can't reach the kitchen counter. I've, I've lost my step. They took it away. <laughs> Now, I would like to read you Catherine Burble saying, Britain's strictest headmistress, who dummy. gave like a speech to the National Conservative Conference about how she's going to put them all in detention. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a yeah. A very odd woman. I always <laughs> love that shit, yeah. A very odd woman. I shall now read from the, uh, the best Christmas card, I think, of the year. Dear Marks and Spencer. Dear Mr. Marks and Spencer. <laughs> De- <laughs> dear so-called Mr. Dear Spencer. Marks, dear Spencer, I've got some words for you. <laughs> I feel compelled to write to you to express my deep disappointment and outrage at your Christmas advert for 2023. You have sorry, a- sorry, hold on, <laughs> just one, one question. Just I, I just have one question. Does this woman do any fucking teaching, <laughs> or is it ju- is it just posts? I, I I'm currently imagining her writing it in the way that Eminem wrote the Stan letter in the in the, in the music video. Stan. <laughs> dear Mark and Spencer, I drank a tenth of vodka. Dear me to drive. <laughs> so, sorry, kids. I, 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 I would have done the lesson plan for this week, but uh, I, I was, I, I, I had to confront wokeism mm. in all its forms. You have a duty as our. Like, that's every like major conservative in charge of a thing. Mm. Like, yeah. Imagine working for this woman. Imagine you have to like implement all of her insane teaching ideas, and that. Like, and then, and then you like, you're like, hey, c- help! Can you do any of the like, you know, head teacher shit? And she's like, can't. Christmas ads woke. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be on this for the next, you know, five to six hours. Five to six days, actually. Um, Let's go. So, also, it's like, but you could have like Jim Ratcliffe. Like, at least he runs a chemical company and starts his, uh, and had like tried to start his like knockoff ranch, uh, Land Rover business. Like, she's just writing posts. She says. You have a duty as our national department store to keep the spirit of Christmas alive for the sake of our children. <laughs> our national a sacred bond. Yeah, but the, the, the national department store is surely John Lewis, which M and S are knocking off the concept of a Christmas ad from John Lewis anyway. 
She's she's having she's yeah. yelling at the second tier national departments. Yeah, no, this is this is like getting mad at Miller rather than getting mad at Budweiser, right? Yeah, like, she's yelling at Pepsi. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> d- d- dear Miller Lager, you're disgraceful. <laughs> <laughs> Shames this country. When our nation is on its knees, trying to keep our spirits high for what we can all achieve together, this is not the time for you to encourage people to ignore the inspirational spirit of Christmas, of self-sacrifice, gratitude, giving one's time and finances to help one's fellow man, children's laughter, magical tales of Father Christmas, of kindness and beauty, and instead to tell us to do whatever we want for ourselves. Mm, mm-hmm. Yes. What, what, sorry, sorry, hold on. Uh, when was the spirit of self-sacrifice a thing in Christmas? A giant festival of indulgence? What? When no, was it's that? It's gone woke ever since they got rid of the Saturnalia. Uh, it used to be on Christmas, you know, the slaves were kings for the day, and you you had to cook everything for the slaves. And I think it taught everyone an important lesson. But kids these days, they, they would never make dinner for a slave. The, kids these days, they can't even play the nose flute. They'd be useless <laughs> on Saturnalia. They'd be no good. Also, it's like when our nation is on its knees trying to keep our spirits high for what we can all achieve, achieve together. That's yeah. like it's, you're yeah, before angry. Hamas takes power and bans <laughs> right, Christmas. Right, right, right. You're angry at a poster. Yeah, our nation is on its knees trying to desperately to suck some life back into the cog <laughs> of the economy. <laughs> and also, it's like, what I like about this though is it's classic. This is actually something that you observe, Josh. It's classic war on Christmas yeah. stuff, but but a secular yes, war yes, on Christmas. Yes, the shape of it is completely different. Like on our show, we talk a lot about evangelical Christian culture and the way that it influences political narratives and stuff like that. And every year around this time, you get groups like Focus on the Family who put out their th- checklist of like which catalogs that got sent out for the holidays mention Christmas by name. Right. Because if they mention Christmas by name, then it's okay to shop there because they respect our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. However, if it says happy holidays or, you know, seasons, greetings or whatever, uh, then that is bad. Uh, They are fighting uh, as foot soldiers in the war on Christmas and they must be disavowed by us. But it's all religious as opposed to this, which is like a cultural order for a holiday that here in the UK has become completely secularized. Mm. Well, this is but where this the- is the thing. This is the reason why I love Burble Singh, right? Is everybody else zigs, she zags. You know, everyone else is like, you know, woke Hamas, and she's on the Christmas. Christmas, apps. you know, is it's about alcoholism. Y- it's about arguing <laughs> with your nan that's right, about that's Brexit. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> what I also like about this next paragraph is that it sort of ties the Christmas letter into what we were talking about about why weirdness works in the UK in a way it doesn't work in mm. America. She says. Because we had a lot of beef in the 90s. (laughs) I run an inner city school in London where we try hard to instill values of decency daily in our children. When Marks and Spencer puts two fingers up to these values, it makes our lives as teachers much more difficult and stifles social mobility and happiness for our children, in particular for the disadvantaged. How? How? Just some some poor little kid who is in the, like, based epic trad class learning to read out of a Psalter, just going like, please make (laughs) some woke. Because it catches a glimpse of like an MS ad in a TV in like a store window. Well, and, and it, it really ratchets it up in the next paragraph too. And Riley, may I read this next paragraph uh, in, uh, in, in the spirit in of Christmas moment, Carol? I, just, I wanted okay. to say I want to say one quick thing before you do, but you may, which is that why this factors into the sort of general weirdness effectiveness index in the UK is that Catherine Burblesing is in and of that tiny room 
right? Where like the one where Suella Braverman is shouting the loudest. And when you are when you are in that room and you can only see and hear what everyone else sees and hears, who are who are the people like you, who are the people who are going on TV and talking at the conferences, whatever, is that every things stop mattering different amounts. Everything matters in the same way for the same reason, which is that anything anything you can imagine that goes against like the kind of imaginary traditional nostalgia that Catherine Burblesing is all about you know bringing back through discipline and education or you know Suella Braverman is talking about about getting people off the streets whatever whatever it's the same problem and the same solution it's just we know who we're mad at and we're mad at the people out there and we're mad at them for their own good basically right because the the internal world that she's creating here is not particularly specific like you can fill in the details with whatever you want to fill it in on based on what Christmas means to you. It it doesn't really even explicitly. I don't think it says Jesus at all at any point. Yeah, in the this. bit where it says delete is appropriate was a bit weird. <laughs> I mean, it, the, the, the next paragraph here, uh, of course, references a Christmas Carol, which I just wanted to read this paragraph because I was Tiny Tim in a production of a Christmas Carol when I was six years old. True story. Um, Ebenezer Scrooge says, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. So should we all. Scrooge teaches us the value of charity and generosity of spirit. On that fateful night, he learns that selfishness is not what Christmas is about. Rather than teach our children to build a chain to weigh them down for eternity, you should be showing the way with heartening adverts, celebrating the values which Scrooge comes to embody. How can you do this to our country at a time such as this? Shame on you. You there, boy. What day is this? Why, why is what Christmas? Everyone is most excited to get their new pronouns from parent Christmas. We've all, we've all bought a big turkey to celebrate a mess. You, no, there's no sausages anymore, sir. No, there's creeping Sharia now. Which is the most work Christmas of all. I don't know what day it is. I believe at one point this day had a special meaning. I don't know what it is anymore. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Tiny Tim's family who are so poor they have to share a single pronoun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it. Proper traditional Christmas, right? You get visited by four ghosts, right? And then and then you you'd come to realise that your your apprentice on the job was actually alright and you'd say, you know what, I don't actually need the stripe paint. Why don't you sit down with me and have a glass of tenants? The 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 BBC adaptation where Scrooge is a fucking bricklayer. <laughs> I said, look, you put that plumb line down. You should go and see Jacob your wife. Marley rattling his heart. Uh, 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 uh. I, I, I think I think there's like something really. I'm in builders' hell, sir. <laughs> the tax man comes every day and he checks you've declared all the cash. He makes you buy all that returns. <laughs> I think like I think there's something like quite telling about because like re referencing some of the earlier chat that we had about like conservative governance and everything. I feel like and Catherine Burblesing I think is a really special person in the sense that she she really she really sort of like has gone down the poster's hole and like can't get out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I and, and I would I would give anything to just like shadow her for a day and see how she like navigates posting mm. on a school day. 
Like, I'm just wondering whether, like, she calls in students for detention and gets them to draft her posts Ooh, for her. I like that. Or whether mm. she, like, uses it's, them. It's lines on the blackboard, but yeah. it's, it's drafts of her tweets. I like right. that. How, how they think of her posts. But, like, that's a side thing. What, the point I wanted to sort of get at is when we're sort of thinking about why electorally these sorts of conservative uh, fixations don't really work out. Mm. And like one of the sort of telling points is that, well, these are fixations that they have. And they sort of like the problem to a do like strategically is that they imagine a constituency that doesn't really exist that for the for for whom this resonates, right? And so, you know, they and you know, so they go on their podcasts and they sort of like, you know, talk to their right media people and they sort of create and, and it all reinforces this thing about like, oh, you know, yeah, the public want like they want this, this type of reactionary politics, whether be it mass deportations, a kind of full ban on abortion, uh, death penalty for like petty crime, mandatory Christmas right. celebration. And, yeah, and and if you reinforce that enough, like it's it, when you reinforce that enough, but you also have enough people who have gone down that online hole, you know that you know it it it, it can kind of become believable. And so it's really interesting to look at. Catherine Burble singing, be like, oh, this is someone for whom, like, this is how she sees the world mm -hmm. now, right? Yeah. For her, this is a very normal thing. Yes. And there will be people, and she posts it online, and there will be people who will say, but oh, yeah, you did the right thing. We, you're saying the things that, like, you know, the public actually do agree with, but they, they're too scared to say it because it's woke Christmas and, like, Hamas might, like, execute them, uh, you know, on Boxing Day or something like that, right? She will be someone who genuinely believes that. And I think it's just a very interesting and very telling. Uh, way of trying to understand this type of like politics and also why despite it being insane like I feel like it's best placed actually in a, in, a, in sort of a territory of opposition like yeah. this will this will absolutely increase when these guys lose elections but that's yes. actually kind yes. of where they want to go because that's that's where it's much easier to works. do this when you're out of power because rather than having to articulate any sort of a positive agenda you can just well, be right, like well, well, this like, is what's wrong well, like, rather than doing anything which is what right. you kind of have to do in government right your opposite, you know, oh, not you're, in Britain. You're, you're, well, that's true, yeah. <laughs> but even then, like, you sort of have to feign that you are going to do something. Right. That's partly the problem that we're facing at the moment. But when they're in opposition, they can sort of imagine as many constituencies or like this type of demographic as they want to, right? And they can keep reinforcing that this stuff exists. And again, as we mentioned, because um, media and think tanks and like policy making is so small and so cloistered. Like they can create that world for these people, regardless yeah. of like how materially grounded it is or not. So. I, I think that's this is also true that they think that they're in opposition right now. <laughs> like she doesn't think that her her tendency is in government. Right. She thinks it's in opposition. But and I, I think that that is also quite telling of talking about like the social mobility thing of just being like, well, if we don't have enough discipline, that there won't be social mobility, and that's just a thing that you can apply anywhere, and you just keep doing it until it sticks, and then that's just like what the beliefs are now. But I, I want to finish up because we're running long. She says. May God, Allah, or Vishnu take pity on you. Damn. So God or Allah. Bars. Bars. Guy. Delete is uh, appropriate. I looked at a really lazy army chaplain <laughs> slapping the coexist bumper sticker on the bottom of it. I look to the heavens and ask that you be visited by the three ghosts <laughs> who can perhaps shine a light <laughs> on your duty. <laughs> to help pave the way for our children to learn how to live a life filled with more with giving rather than taking. Please do take the advert down. Try again. You can do Try better. Again. We want our children to do See more. See me after class. Yeah. We want our children to do more than exist as the old Ebenezer did, building his chain. We want our children to live. Please do not undermine us in this endeavor. Your 
sincerely, Catherine Burble sings. Jacob Marley has the chain. Mm. Different. That's yeah. the fourth ghost that she forgot. Guess she didn't pay enough attention in class. Uh, I guess someone, Maybe he was on her phone. Someone's been being a little bit lazy in the classroom. Perhaps a little bit too busy vaping, were you, Catherine? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I think that that's all we have time for today. Uh, Josh, uh, from the Worst of All Possible Worlds podcast, thank you so much for coming in. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Um, if you have enjoyed listening to me uh, rant on about... Uh, evangelical Christianity and how it fucks uh, various things up or just have a more broad interest in media in the way that pieces of pop culture shape our narratives. Uh, you might like our show. Uh, it's called The Worst of All Possible Worlds. And uh, we just do a case study in a different piece of media every week. We have now had four of the five hosts of this illustrious podcast mm -hmm. on our show talking about various things. That's right. And and <laughs> completing the five pack uh, this coming week, we will have one Riley Quinn appearing. So if you are yes. interested in that, uh, definitely check us out. Worstpossible.world is our website. We've got a Patreon as well, which is patreon.com slash worst of all. And I'm excited to see Riley's I will be talking about my mastermind specialist subject, and I'm very yes. excited. Yes. Did, are you talking about Warhammer? No. Wine? Are you talking about... Ah, Neom. We've okay. mocked up. We've mocked up a, a cover, uh, for cover image for this that I am very excited about. So, fantastic! All right, thank you very much for listening, and don't forget, we also have a Patreon. It's five dollars a month. Uh, you can get more episodes. Yeah, you can join the war on Christmas as a Patreon. And we will see you on the bonus episode in a couple short days. Oh, yeah. Also, uh, dates. By the time this comes out, uh, you can still see me in Oxford, which will be, if you're listening to this on Tuesday the 14th, which is when it comes out, tonight. Or in Barcelona on the 24th of November. Also, London on the 22nd of November is now sold out. Thank you to everyone who bought tickets to that. Cheers, lads. Thank you at this time. Yeah. Okay. Bye, Bye. everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you.